Skywalker was just a farm boy until he received a mysterious message from a princess. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. She's beautiful. Star Wars, starring Mark Hamill. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue you. Aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? Harrison Ford. Boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're going to have company! I think we took a wrong turn. Carrie Fisher. Alec Guinness. You can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. 20th Century Fox presents the most extraordinary motion picture of all time, Star Wars. Here's where the fun begins. No legendary adventure of the past could be as exciting as this romance of the future. Here they come. May the Force be with you in Star Wars. Ticket Stubs and Cassette Tapes, a movie and music podcast. I'm Andy, I'm your host, and today I'm joined by Chad once again. Hey, Andy. Hey, what's up? And today we're also joined by an extra co-host, Mr. Austin. How you doing, man? Hey, good. Glad to be here. Alright, uh, it's going to be fun. we got three lifelong Star Wars fans here to discuss uh, some good stuff, so we're looking forward to it. We actually just got through uh, watching the Book of Boba Fett. Um, you know, just a little while ago, and uh, so it, it's still fresh, so we're going to discuss that. We're also going to get into the original Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, as it's now known, and it's, you know, become the, uh, the, the classic, iconic movie that has inspired so many others, so we're looking forward to that. Um, as far as the book of Boba Fett, we'll do it uh, here at the beginning. We'll try to keep it uh, somewhat brief, I guess as brief as we can. Um, and then we'll we'll launch into uh, a new hope. Um, so we hope everybody had a uh, a good holiday uh, weekend. Um, looking forward to New Year's, and we hope everybody has uh, a good New Year's as well. And uh, like I said last episode, we've got a really strong 2022 lined up. Uh, looking at a lot of uh, content for you guys, a lot of Star Wars. So if you're a Star Wars fan, uh, there's a pretty good reason to be excited right there. I think a good place to start for this episode would be to look at sort of our uh, fandoms of Star Wars because, you know, we, we sort of did that, I guess, with Ghostbusters, you and I, Chad, 
Uh, and you may have to forgive us. This is the first time we're recording together in the same room, so if there's some audio issues, we apologize. Um, but we sort of, uh, uh, sort of uh, gave our uh, history with with Ghostbusters when we did that movie, just to give you guys uh, sort of a starting point and and why we come from, where we where we come from when it comes to uh, reviewing some of these movies. And Star Wars is a special one for us because it's it's uh, a franchise that we really love, but. I think it'd be really cool to sort of give that jumping off point so that you guys know where we stand as far as Star Wars fans. Um, Chad, you want to start us off there? Just your uh, your sort of how you got into Star Wars um, and and what it's meant to you as just a movie fan over over the years. Yeah, uh, growing up, you know, watched the the original trilogy. Had I s- still have a lot of the original uh, figures. <clears throat> Um, of course, uh, like I said, my first exposure was the original trilogy, and this was before the, the prequels came out, so that was uh, what I grew up on, uh, was those first three. So when that's, uh, that prequel trilogy was, was announced, you know, obvious excitement uh, for that to come out and watch them all in the theater. Uh, so, yeah, just, you know, from, from when I was little to uh, middle to the to the prequels up to the sequel trilogy and now the the new shows <clears throat> it's very exciting and uh i can't wait to see what uh what's gonna be coming down the down the line austin what about you well um you know star wars is pretty much the first movie that i remember uh ever watching and it was just always my favorite growing up um my uncle had taped them on vhs and give them to me and that was that was just my favorite thing to watch, and um, yeah, I grew up watching the prequels, loved them, um, you know, loved the sequel trilogy as well, and yeah, also just excited to see what's coming out. Yeah, so for me, uh, the the first one I actually ever saw was uh, A Phantom Menace. It was the first movie that my, uh, my dad ever took me to in the theaters. It was the first movie I ever saw in theaters, and, and I was pretty, um, you know, overtaken by just the the idea of Star Wars, I guess that they're you know Jedi and you know that you you know these people can travel across the galaxy to all these planets and you have the cool ships and the uh, the the blasters and, and all that kind of stuff. But I also just really like the characters and you know shortly after that movie, uh, I remember uh, uh, renting uh, going to the movie store and renting on VHS the the original Star Wars: A New Hope. And just fell in love with that movie. I remember I used to sit on my bed and pretend like I was flying an X-Wing through the trench run, you know. So, um, you know, like I've stated before, I'm a massive Star Wars fan. You know, we all are here. Um, you know, we've <laughs> we've watched the movies. We've played the games. Uh, you know, I know Austin, both you and I, we read the comics growing up. Had the action figures, the lightsabers. I mean, you know, I, I just don't know how you can be any bigger fans than, than, than we are really. Um, and, and so, uh, it's really exciting to get, uh, to talk about it now. Um, so I've got a quick question. Yeah. Uh, so did you say Phantom Menace was the first Star Wars movie you saw? Yes. Um, Austin was, was the original trilogy the, the yeah. first you saw, was it the prequels? Yeah. The, the first 
uh, I'd ever seen was the original trilogy. You know, A New Hope, Empire, and then Return of the Jedi in that order. I actually got all three of them at the same time, I believe. Um, just, you know, recorded VHS tapes, so, you know, as as they were being played on the TV, you know, I just record <clears> them and, you know, they weren't the best quality, but they were they were great to me right. at the time. Well, I'd always heard that you can tell when people grew up based on which trilogy they liked. If they grew up in the 80s, their favorite's going to be yeah. uh, the original. If they grew up later, it's going to be the prequels. And, um, and that rings true for me. My favorite trilogy is obviously the original. Yeah. Uh, original trilogy followed by the prequels. Mm-hmm. So is that the same with you guys? Is prequels your favorites? The original? Is it even? Um, I, you know, here's the thing about me, and, and you may hear me say this several times. Star Wars is my favorite franchise, but you're never really going to hear me say what my favorite of it is because I love all of it. Mm-hmm. There are things about certain movies I don't like, and, and we'll, we're going to talk about every movie, so we'll get into them. Um, I am one of those people who acknowledge that the original trilogy is the best trilogy in the form of filmmaking. It right. was extremely creative for its time, something that we'll talk about a little later on uh, in this episode. But um, and, and, and so I love the original trilogy. I, I, I very much love the original trilogy of Star Wars. But that being said, the prequel trilogy holds a very special place in my heart. And and I'm not one of those people who's going to sit here and lie to you. It, a big part of that is because it's what I grew up with. Right. I had more prequel trilogy toys than mm-hmm. I had original. Now my favorite character is always... My favorite three characters have always been Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan. Right. So... You know that obviously crosses into the uh, original trilogy, um, but when I was growing up, that prequel trilogy coming out, I loved the original trilogy, but the prequels were kind of uh, connecting dots into the original trilogy for me, and mm-hmm. and they were so fresh and so new to me as a child mm-hmm. that that's what that's that's <clears throat> one that holds a special place in my heart. I I I. I, I Probably between those two trilogies, I'm probably like I just love them all. It's mm-hmm. not really a this is the one I love more than the other. Um, but in terms of filmmaking, right, the original is tops every every other you know trilogy, obviously. But like um, you said, it, that <clears throat> the prequels you mentioned hold a special place. Yeah, and you said that's the toys you grew up with, and I think yeah. that's the same for me with the right. original because I grew up with those original. Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, right? Um, Vader toys, those original yeah. Kenner. I think that's line, what yeah. you know. That's what ingrains that in you because you're creating your own stories with uh, in those different eras with those different toys, and it. I guess you kind of gravitate to that to those eras. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. I mean, Austin, do you have an opinion on that? Or yeah, I, I would say for for me, it's hard to say what trilogy would be the best as well. Um, like you said, the, the original is you know you can't really beat them. Um, fantastic movie making. There's some something about them. It's it's just hard to hard to put into words. But also the yeah the prequels. I mean they just bring up all these memories of childhood and it's it's got that nostalgia factor <clears throat> that you know yeah. that some of the others don't have. Like when um, 
<clears throat> when I think about The Phantom Menace, uh, I remember seeing it with you. That's when mm-hmm. I first saw it in the movie theaters. And uh, Revenge of the Sith, I remember seeing it opening night. You know, I think I was like eighth grade going out with my friends, you know, and it was just a great time. And I just, I just think about, you know, childhood memories when I watch those. And so it's hard to beat. Not to say that the sequel trilogy isn't great as well. It's just, you know, different. They're, I love them all for different reasons. Yeah, and, and you know, listen, you, like my nephew is um, 13 years old. He loves the sequel trilogy. That's mm-hmm. what he's grown up with. Um, you have kids like that now who are yeah. going to grow up loving that. And Same with my kids. Every Star yeah. Wars movie they ask, is BB-8 in this one? Yes, exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> that's what you grow up with. So that's why, for me, it's really hard to sit to, to hear people always say, well, this is trash, I hate this, I hate this. Everybody's just, they grew up with something. Right. That's the beautiful thing about Star Wars. If you were born within the last few generations, there's something that's maybe a, is a little more special to you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you don't love them all. Right. There's just something that has that nostalgia factor into it. So, yeah, so that's that's good, just for getting sort of our, our standpoints on it. Like we said, we just watched uh, The Book of Boba Fett, episode one, um, uh, not too long ago. Um, I'll say I was really looking forward to this show as somebody, you know, speaking of the original trilogy, somebody who's a massive fan of Boba Fett. Um, you know, you don't, you know, if you know anything about Star Wars, you know Boba Fett is just this character who's always had this mystique about him. Um, he first popped up in the, uh, the, the holiday special, um, and then, uh, he was in, uh, The Empire Strikes Back, and then, uh, uh, Return of the Jedi, uh, but he didn't, you know, obviously last very long in the original trilogy, didn't get a ton of screen time, so there's always been a, a mystique about that character. And then we got him in The Mandalorian, and that was really cool because, you know, seeing more of Boba Fett, um, seeing that, you know, it's now canon, uh, and we can see it on screen that he survived the Sarlacc pit. Uh, and it's just wreaking havoc and, and you know how they tied in that storyline is really cool so I was excited for this new show um, we watched episode one uh, Austin we'll start with you this time I mean just sort of a, a broad thing here but just sort of give me uh, your opinion on, on the first episode as yeah. you saw it okay so like you said I'm I'm glad they they showed him getting out of the Sarlacc um that was a really great inclusion. Um, I'll say, you know, you mentioned us reading the comics when we were younger. There was a comic that I had, I think I probably still have it somewhere, where, you know, he gets out of the Sarlacc and then he's without his armor for a while. And then this this uh, episode reminded me of that. Yeah. And I'm sure that was intentional. And I think that was a good move. Um, I really enjoyed it. You know, Boba Fett's obviously such a great character. Um, and... I will say that the feel of the the episode, I expected it to be more like The Mandalorian, to have like a western type feel, and I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting it, which is not a bad thing. It's it's got its own it's yeah. got its own it's not just a complete rip off of the Mandalorian. It's it's its own thing and it's it felt different and I think that's good. Yeah, they're going for their own tone in this yeah, one for sure. It's a different tone. And it, it was um Really well laid out episode, you know, with the Tuscan Raiders and yeah, um, 
without getting too much into the story, yeah, it was, it was positive. Chad, what about you? Yeah, I thought it was uh, very well done. If we haven't uh, said it already, there's spoilers. <laughs> yeah, that I'll put for this episode. It'll be in the description. Uh, but yeah, I, I really liked how <clears throat> how it uh, it went back and pulled from uh, you know there was some scenes from from the prequels. Yeah, uh, there was scenes from the original trilogy. You know, tying in uh, and then expanded upon uh, upon that, like you said, with the Sarlacc pit and with the Tusken Raiders. Um, and then uh, storyline, uh, you know, in present time of when the, the story takes place. Uh, so I, I really like that. And I agree with you, Austin, how, you know, the Mandalorian went for this spaghetti western type feel, which I yeah. love. I love spaghetti western, so I, I was really attracted to that to that series, the season one and two of the Mandalorian. But this one was totally different, yeah. but in a good way. I still like it. I, I love it. This first episode was great. I can't wait to see what happens in the second. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited for it. Uh, John Favreau does an excellent job. So I can't see where I can't wait to see where where this story goes. So without getting on to too much of a tangent necessarily, um, how much do you think the tone was differentiated between the Mandalorian based on? just the score because I, th- I feel like that's what gave it so yeah. much of the western feel and the mandalorian and it was is very different here but uh yeah i mean that's always got something to do with it uh almost i guess subconsciously yeah. you know it's something you don't even really think about but that's a good point mm-hmm. um this one you 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 mentioned while we were watching it, Chad. This one it felt almost like an episode of rebels. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good i i feel i feel like that's a pretty good uh, way to describe it. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, tonally it was different, which I, I'm cool with. I think, you know, if you're going to divide your shows up like this and do spinoffs and stuff like that, then you should, you know, attempt different uh, tones. Right. Um, just to give us something different, you know. Um, this one was uh, a ton of backstory, filling in some of those gaps. You mentioned showing some... Uh, through uh, like dream sequences, they showed us uh, you know like stuff from the prequels. You saw a shot of Camino, you saw Boba Fett when he was a kid picking up his dad Jango Fett's head. Uh, that and, scene surprised me so much. Yeah, and it, it looked good. reshot. It yeah, looked it like they reshot did. it because it when when you see his face in the helmet, it's a different actor than was in the original. Yeah. Could be way off, but it looked like that. And then you see what I've probably loved the most about the episode. You actually see him in the stomach of the Sarlacc yeah. kid. And that's awesome. You know, that's something. That was cool. And how he got out. Yeah, ever since uh, Return of the Jedi, you know, it, you, you're like, what does the inside of that thing look like? You know, they're talking about <laughs> it, it takes like thousands of years, yeah, to digest or whatever. And then you see, it was almost like a horror movie. Like it you was, see yeah. the You see the stormtrooper in there, and he's having to take out his... Uh, uh, I don't know, like, what would y'all say? He was whatever he was breathing with inside mm-hmm. the helmet, and yeah. you know, he had to actually. What I thought was a good detail, he had to dig out the side and up because he couldn't come back up through the mouth. Yeah, uh, true. Yeah, which is a cool detail. Um, so that was cool, you know, seeing those flashbacks. Uh, the Tuscan Raiders flashback was it was very interesting, you know, seeing I guess how he got the stuff he had when uh, he found the Mandalorian uh, who had his armor. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, I mean, when you get into specifics like that, I mean, uh, Chad, we'll start with you. What, 
what specifically from the episode, I guess, stood out to you? It doesn't have to be flashbacks, but just any part of the episode. What what stood out to you the most? You <clears throat> like you said, what for me was the Tusken Raiders. Yeah. So original trilogy, you know, you get a little bit in, in the movies. You get a little bit of this culture and this group of people uh, in the Tusken Raiders. And this, you get more. You get to see, you know, uh, I don't want to say a day-to-day life, but, you, you know, more of of the detail of what this culture and this, this group of people, uh, how they operate, yeah, the hierarchy. Yeah, like a tribe and a leader. Right, yeah. exactly. Uh, so I really like how it expanded that. Um and, that, and again, that, that's what I like about these series uh, versus the movies. You can get into the details and really expand on them uh, and learn a lot about them. I, you know, similar to what you guys said in the in the comic books, right? Yeah. So this is more of, uh, you know, it, it this version here. It feels more like here. a live comic book. Exactly. Yeah. You can expand on these yeah. things and yeah. explore them uh, more than you can a movie because you've got an hour and a half, two hours to fit all that you can in a movie. Where this, you can really spread out. Yeah, I think awesome. uh, it was it was interesting seeing Tuscan Raiders portrayed more as people as opposed mm-hmm. to just kind of savages, you know, yeah, yeah, wild creatures out there. That was I was interested. Maybe that's been done in some other medium that I haven't seen, but I think that was the first time I'd seen it done. You know, yeah, which was interesting. I think what stood out most to me about it was that Boba Fett was pretty. Um, he seemed pretty vulnerable the whole episode. It wasn't like you're worried about him, you know, being killed or anything, but he wasn't, he was, it almost seemed like he wasn't on top of his game, you know, yet, which is understandable. He just got out of the Sarlacc. Um, and I assume they're building that up for narrative purpose as some, for something later. Yeah. It was interesting, like, how they, uh, when you come up to real time in the show and they get attacked in the streets and he has to rush back to the, the back to take at the end of the episode you know right, it's yeah. interesting like seeing you know what does this mean like is he basically I guess not mortally wounded but is he you know forever wounded to the point yeah. where he's never going to be 100% again and like you like you said like he's he's vulnerable and you see him you know torn up and scarred and uh, Chad you even made you even point out he had like like worms or something coming out of his shirt or you know his yeah. skin or something which is odd uh, I guess the Sarlacc pit you know mm-hmm. does a number on you uh, I can't you, remember what it said but when he I know when he got out of the back to tank one time it said something to the effect of the healing process is I want to say like paused or something like it, it wasn't completely done he was not completely healed yet okay you know something like that okay I didn't catch that that's a good catch I can't remember how it said said it exactly uh, the obvious uh, question of the episode is he gets attacked by people in the street, and we have no idea who they are, um, which yeah. is which is odd. I mean, they didn't. It was weird because they didn't really attack him; they just surrounded him and was trying to keep yeah. them in place mm-hmm. for some reason. Almost like they're holding him, or right? Yeah. Maybe it was the mayor's. You know, that's true. Thought about that. Yeah. Could it have come from the? I guess the I guess it's more of a casino where they were in. Yeah, it seems like the obvious, you know, maybe red herring would be the mayor's crew, but maybe maybe it actually was. Yeah, the I don't know what you call it, casino, where yeah. he had just gotten all that money, you know, and they were they were smiling to him and giving him the offering, you know, very easily. But maybe behind the scenes, you know, <clears> they were actually orchestrating that attack. 
to test him. I don't know. And both of those might have been a misdirection because you see the race of the people who attacked him versus the races of uh, <clears throat> the two groups that we're talking about. True, it was like Twi'leks totally different. and then humans from Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so it's there's a lot of uh, speculation you can put, put on that. Um, so I, I'm interested to see. Do we know how many, uh, how many episodes there's going to be? Does anybody know? Guess we could have um, looked that up beforehand, but it looks like seven. Seven. Okay. Um, and I'm wondering too, and this may have already been announced, but I'm wondering if he's going to be in the Mandalorian again, or if he's sort of broken off and he's doing his own thing now. Mm-hmm. I guess that makes sense if, since he's running Jabba's palace now. He's like the crime lord. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be cool to see how it plays out. I, you know. The Mandalorian always did a really good job of uh, storylines that are, uh, you know, interesting, very, very interesting, and, and, you know, where they take the characters. So I'm excited to see Boba Fett get the same treatment. Um, and, you know, listen, it's it's awesome to see these shows. I mean, I remember as a kid thinking, man, it'd be cool if there was Star Wars TV shows. and mm-hmm. So it's cool to see that happening now. So you're just getting this, you're getting more of this Star Wars content. So... I'll be very, very uh, interested to see in the future what the success of these these kind of shows does for for uh, you know more content and getting more stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we move on from from Boba Fett, I mean, is there anything you know either of you uh, have anything specifically you wanted to point out about it or, or something you want to mention? Um, <coughs> going back to what Austin mentioned on the score. Uh, you know that I think what you what you said about the the Mandalorian that score really is what you know helped give it that uh, spaghetti western feel. It was something out of uh, any Marconi film. For for anybody who doesn't know, that was the person who scored all the the uh, you know um, Clint Eastwood uh, uh, movies, uh, Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More, those spaghetti westerns, and this one uh, didn't have that, and I didn't notice that until the credits and then the the score started playing i was like this yeah. is totally different this is nothing different. like what the first two seasons were uh so that was something that stuck out to me anything about anything from you austin yeah that was i mean you said it pretty well there that was the main takeaway um yeah and i'm just excited to see where the storyline takes it yeah it'll be interesting um you know, uh, like I said, there's not we weren't given much other than backstory in this one, so there's not you yeah. know there's not a whole lot to talk about. But uh, are they being released on a weekly basis? I assume. I mean, I would assume so. That's what the Mandalorian did. Um, Looks like the next one comes out January fifth. So yeah, so that's next week. So mm-hmm. okay, so we'll buckle up for the next uh, month and a half, two months, I guess, and we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. Um, it should be a lot of fun. All right, we'll move into uh, Star Wars A New Hope. Um, so like we said, uh, classic, iconic movie. It's been the inspiration for so many other movies, you know, over the last, uh, you know, four four decades. And, and it's, it's just insane, uh, you know, the impact that this movie has had on the world of entertainment. Um, I mean, we talk about movies you talk about you know all the references to Star Wars and other movies or TV shows you think about 
the soundtracks, you think about uh, merchandising, toys, and, and it's just insane what this one little movie spawned. You know, I don't think anybody could have ever uh, imagined what, what this would have done. Um, uh, you know, like I said, I had seen it uh, after A Phantom Menace, but this movie, I remember watching it very uh, vividly, uh, watching it for the first time, and uh, you know, just being amazed. And and you know, what was funny is, as a kid, uh, this movie had been out for a while, but I remember watching it, and like some of those older classic films, I could watch as a kid and think, yeah, you could, like uh, the, the the special effects and that's dated on this. But you you, know, you watch that, and it's not like the, a lot. The practical stuff holds up really well. Uh, and we'll, we can talk some about the uh, special editions too, uh, you know, and just sort of uh, make mention of that. But obviously, uh, A New Hope, 1977, directed, written by George Lucas. Uh, let's, you know what? Let's just start with George Lucas. That makes sense. So George Lucas uh, wrote this movie. Um, you know, I think he went through a few different drafts of it before it ended up being what it what it is um, you know you can give a lot of thanks to the visuals uh, to uh, uh, Ralph McQuarrie and uh, his concept designs um, you know I think that uh, when it originally started out this movie was just a farm boy you know looking to do bigger things um, and you know taking down an empire joining a rebellion and taking down an empire and if you watch uh, a New Hope, and this is what's funny about A New Hope, is it's really the only Star Wars movie that works on its own by itself. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously because it's the first one. Uh, just the story of this young mm -hmm. farmer boy who, uh, you know, has this whole uh, path all the way up to being a, a, a fighter pilot, basically, who takes down, a, you know, a, a, an empire, you know, a large regime like that. So, um, yeah, I think that it, it's crazy... Again, though, how this one movie, you know, sort of impacted everything else. Um, Chad, uh, so I know that, like you said, you grew up in this era. You you really, uh, you know, I, I know that you probably saw this movie at a really young age. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think about this movie specifically as it pertains to just standing on its own? And not, you know, you, when you think about this, like, throw Empire Strikes Back and throw Return of the Jedi and the prequels and sequels, throw all that mm -hmm. out of your head. This movie on its own, mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you think about it looking back at it now as a grown man, like just as as it stands on its own? Well, I, like you said, um, it, it has everything, right? It, it's the basis of what a lot of things now uh, are, are made of. You've got the unlikely hero in Luke, yeah. You've got the, the bad boy in, in, in Han, you know, the the mentor in uh, Obi-Wan, and then the ultimate uh, big bad villain uh, in, in Darth Vader, right? Yeah. So many things, uh, you know, and I'm sure this movie wasn't the first to, to come up with these different concepts, uh, obviously. But a lot of things today and since then have been based on a lot of these, uh, these formula. Yeah. Uh, right. So that again with the like you said the soundtrack and the practical effects that always you know they they seem to hold up well because uh, it's not a graphic effect. Um, but even the graphic effects like the lightsabers they hold up so well uh, now. Um, 
and then for the storyline it, it is a compact you know it from start to finish everything wraps up in a in a great uh climactic battle at the end where the hero comes in and, and destroys the death star and uh you know if there was no other movies made uh past a new hope i think this one would still stand the test of time yeah. in a lot of different areas um and you know like you said th this did come out before i was born like you said it came out in 77 and i'll be honest i could not tell you the first time that i actually watched it uh because it's just been so ingrained uh in my childhood and growing up it's just i've all you know always uh it, it's always been there right so right. Uh, i couldn't tell you the first time i watched it but yeah uh going back to it's just everything in one package um yeah. And I don't know if you guys know when 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 Lucas wrote this, um, did did he write the trilogy all at once? Did he write this one and then as it had uh, success, you know, start adding to the story and changing things and adding and expanding? You know, I've never looked that up. I'm not sure. Do you know, Andy? Uh, I don't. I, I know that he obviously he might have known some things. Mm -hmm. But we hadn't, we know he didn't know everything, right? Because you True. know you have the obvious points of Luke and Leia being sister, brother and sister, Vader being Luke's father. These were things that he did not know, right? Obviously, so he may have had ideas. Mm -hmm. I, I, I imagine, but I don't think he wrote the whole thing, you know, note for note or anything like that. Like I don't think the idea of an emperor existed. During this movie's time, you know, uh, you know, you pretty much had uh, Tarkin existed as that sort of figure right. in this one. Um, you know, I think about Obi Wan's uh, speech to Luke in this one, talking about, you know, your father was uh, a fellow Jedi like me, and and my uh, Vader was my pupil, and he killed your father. Well, I think at the time that was really the story. Now we know that's just what Obi Wan told him, you know, right. to, he didn't want to tell him that Vader was his father, but uh, I think at the time that was just to be taken at face value. Right. So I don't think so. I mean, like I said, he may have had some ideas of where it would go, but, uh, I don't, you know, here's the thing. He expected this movie to fail, mm. you know, and I, I don't know if a lot of people know that. I, I remember reading an article about how he, and, when this movie premiered, he and uh, Spielberg just took like a vacation and went somewhere mm -hmm. else and started working on Indiana Jones because he didn't think he thought this movie was going to bomb. Um, and and, and uh, you know what's crazy about this movie is you know back then because you know there was no such thing as home video release back mm -hmm. then, so movies stayed in theaters for well over a year at that time. And it's crazy, you know, you go back and look like people would go back and randomly watch this movie over time for like over a year's time. So it's, you know, this movie had a chance to build up and build up. And somewhere in that time frame, he may have started thinking about a sequel uh, or a story, you know, continuing the story. But I, at the time of this one, I, I, I imagine he, he probably didn't. Yeah, I didn't know if he wrote this as a standalone yeah. uh, versus, like you said, Empire Strikes Back, obviously was written that as, you know, there was other plot elements that were going to take place in uh, Return of the Jedi, right? So at that point, he was writing for a larger yeah. series where this one did, I wonder if he wrote it just as this is just a standalone, but it sounds like if he was expecting it to fail, then probably that could have been the case. Yeah, I mean, he's always been the kind of guy who's consistently said he doesn't 
he makes movies for himself. Yeah. You know, he doesn't necessarily make them because he thinks people's going to like them. He makes them because he, he would like them. Yeah. Um, so I imagine even back then, he probably had some of that instilled in him. Um, Austin, for you, uh, I mean, what do you, when you look at this movie as a standalone uh, and, and not comparing it to any of the other movies, I mean, what, what is your opinion of it just as a standalone, you know, one-off film? Uh, I think it works really well. Um, like you were alluding to, Chad, it's got the, the iconic hero's journey. You know, like you said, the um, unlikely hero, the big bad, the, you know, um, I think it works perfectly. You could you could stop it there, and then it would, yeah, nothing would really seem missing. Um, you know, what, while you guys were talking, one thing I was thinking about: Does Luke ever, after he gets the lightsaber? Does he ever actually fight with it in A New Hope? Or no? Because I remember him just using blasters, right? Yeah, he, he just ignites it in Obi-Wan's yeah. shack for a minute, but that's all. I mean, I don't I don't think that would be a takeaway <clears throat> from it. I don't... Yeah, that wouldn't be an issue, really. I mean, there's there's so much left. Um, I guess one thing I was thinking about is the supporting characters. Like, you, you mentioned Tarkin. I know you and I both have read that novel yeah. about Tarkin and I mean he's in one movie right Right. it's crazy well he's in Rogue One well yeah but, I guess technically too yeah. but it's just it's crazy how how iconic of a character he was that there's yeah. like books and all this and he you know he's just in it, not much screen time at all mm-hmm. and I, a lot of that goes to the actor Peter Cushing for just doing a great job and then I think about um, the droids too C-3PO and R2-D2, how they had such clear uh, personalities, you know. And yeah. R2-D2 doesn't even talk. I mean, <laughs> and still, still you understand his personality. His personality gets expanded upon a lot in the prequels. Um, I guess you could say the sequels too, but even in this movie, you can tell, you know, he's going to go, you know, do what he wants to do and who cares what well, what people tell him, he's right. gonna get that restraining bolt off, and you <laughs> it know. is crazy when you look at. It. I mean, these are like pieces of machinery robots that have such a big role in a movie. Yeah, you yeah. know, and have like you said, have personality. Um, you know, R two D two spoke English uh, in the first run of this, mm-hmm. and I, I think they I recorded it. They recorded it, and he was very vulgar. Yeah, and that's why. <laughs> oh, really? That's why three PO has that. the reactions to him that he has. They kept C three PO's reactions, but they just changed. Oh, okay. They changed it from English to you know just making the the series of beeps. So that he could um, get that PG rating, I guess, when you're talking about yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I, I, it's almost thankfully, because, you know, yeah, how would yeah, Star Wars sure. have turned out? If Not, they, it wouldn't have been a It would almost been like a pair. I mean, that almost feels like Family Guy-ish. I think, in, you know, if you watch the, the those, like he does actually speak English. So, um, let's, yeah. Let's talk about this Anthony Daniels. He's an actor who played C-3PO. And in this movie, I was just thinking, as we were watching those clips earlier, like how well he maintained this character over what 40 years I yeah, mean you look yeah. at the sequels and then this movie it's he's just playing it exactly the same it's it's great he yeah does, does such um, a great job I've, I've actually read his book about being the character of, of 3PO um, yeah he's great I mean like I mean he has so much personality and yeah. um uh, the fact that he could fit in that suit for 40 years is a <laughs> yeah, miracle is, not a, a lot of people could do that point, I guess um, I mean, you really can't think about Star Wars without R two and three PO. Oh, yeah. yeah, they're so iconic. 
you know, uh, and it's not just, and the cool thing is, not so much in the sequel trilogy, but in the originals and the prequels, they have pivotal roles. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, in A New Hope, they don't shut down that garbage compactor. (laughs) It's a very short movie. Yeah. You know? So, uh, you know, they're the reason that uh, Anna Luke meets Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean they they they're the they're the reason that Obi Wan knows Leia's message. She's thinking about R two. So yeah, they play these uh, pivotal roles, and like you mentioned, R two uh, uh, Anthony Daniels uh, playing the role of three PO. You know, I mean, he, he's just become this iconic figure because of because yeah. of that role. Well, I can even remember when I was little, uh, there was a serial. And of yep. all the characters of Star Wars, the serial was uh, C-3PO's. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it was a serial based on that character. They had their own uh, animated series, yep. droids. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's... And, and you got to think about this uh, in today's time. We have kids' movies about... You think about, like, the movie Wall-E or, mm-hmm. you know, what's the... Uh, I can't think of the, uh, the animated movie about the big... Uh, that big... Uh, it's almost like a balloon. Big robot. Hero Six. Big Hero Six. Yeah. So you have things like that, but in 1977, a live action film with two robots yeah. as the main characters, you would yeah. think that's insane. But it, it's crazy <laughs> it how so well, well. Yeah, it's crazy how well he made that work. Um, I, I think a lot of that has just got to go to the acting. I mean, especially of Anthony Daniels for just making that you know that stickler you know by the book droid character works mm-hmm. so well that, yeah. yeah he wasn't robotic he gave right. it personality yeah he gave it such a personality even even I don't it's crazy yeah and you also gotta give give it to Kenny Baker yeah <laughs> who was inside yeah, R2D2 yeah, for sure that's got I mean that had to be uncomfortable you know that uh, yeah, was yeah surely uncomfortable and, and so yeah I mean uh, like you said and that's the crazy thing about Star Wars the side characters are main characters yeah. essentially that's the crazy thing. Yeah, it was such a big universe. Um, you know, in this movie, Luke is the main character, but there's so many other characters that take up a lot of st- a screen time, it's hard to say that he's like the only main character, you know. Um, and characters that don't speak English, like you mentioned R2-D2, uh, Chewbacca, not a word of English, but we know exactly what they're saying. You know, how big of a, yeah. a risk was that? No subtitles. No subtitles. He speaks a language we don't understand. Uh, and again, with Chewbacca, uh, a major, major Star Wars character. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't work. Uh, you know, Peter Mayhew, uh, you know, rest in peace, he, he just did so awesome with that with that role. And uh, I can't imagine being, if I was an actor, which I don't know if he was a, a, you know, a technical classical actor in the sense before this, but... I can't imagine, you know, signing up for a movie where, I, you know, I'm going to be in a, a dog suit for, you know, and speaking gibberish. It looks like uh, yeah. Bigfoot. Honestly. Yeah, it looks like Bigfoot. Uh, and that's that's what's so crazy about it is this movie works in spite of a lot of things, you would say. Uh, you know, you, you wouldn't say that now, but at the time it was like, you know, and I, I think of like Alec Guinness and, mm-hmm. you know, how he, you know, he was always sort of... Uh, uh, you know, uh, he didn't have the greatest love of Star Wars. Yeah. You know, and he thought it was like science fiction trash. Um, 
and, and you know, some of those older classical English actors, mm-hmm. you know, they were sort of like that about some movies, you yeah. know. I think about Donald Pleasance and Halloween and how he, you know, with horror movies, he thought the same. Uh, but, uh, you know, with him, Alec Guinness, somebody we haven't even talked about uh, as Obi-Wan, uh, he was so pivotal, mm-hmm. you know, he's so pivotal to, to Star Wars. And, and uh, you think about now, uh, the Obi-Wan show coming out next year, and obviously yeah. that's Ewan McGregor, and he did such a, a great job portraying that role too. But that doesn't happen if Obi-Wan in the originals is not such a, an iconic character. Yeah. yeah, you know, so um, you know you got to give props to him as well. Um, I was gonna say one other thing. One other thing I appreciate about um, like R two, you're talking about them not speaking English. R two D two and Chewbacca. One thing that you don't see in movies today that you did back then that I really appreciate is that you know there could be some comedic elements without overdoing it, without yeah. it just being a bunch Absolutely. of one liners. Austin. You know? You just summed up our like first three episodes of yeah. this podcast. Uh, yeah. Subtle comedy. It's subtle humor. Yeah. It doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. It doesn't. You're right. It's, yeah. Uh, everything has got to be over the top. Uh, you know, comedy now, uh, and you don't really think about comedy with Star Wars, but like you were saying with those characters, there there is some of that thing. Yeah. Just hints uh, of it. It's just the perfect amount, and I wish more movie franchises would do that. Yeah, me too. Uh, you know, we talked about actors like Chevy Chase, Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. You know, that just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, with that, you know, everything's got to be so over the top now. Well, but, even in, in, in this universe, there's some Star Wars movies who some of the, the comedic elements You can say it, Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to go there. You know, but what even, you know, even not that, but even in, you know, other elements of the... Uh, in some of the other movies, the the comedy is just it's going for a quick yeah. laugh. At you know, uh, and with like you're talking about the subtle comedy, um, it, I'm, I'm the other comedy. Maybe some of the the younger audience might find it uh, humorous, um, but for the subtle comedy, I think it you know that that goes yeah. all you know it all works. generations. It works. It does. Work. It's not and cheesy. It's not corny. It's, it's not, funny. Yeah. It, and you don't have to just yeah uh, that's one thing that really misses with me on I don't want to just bash movies but with with the Marvel movies they're so it's so direct and blatant that it doesn't hit with me somehow yeah. and I think because it's so often it just takes me out of the movie I have trouble enjoying those yeah whereas with all Star Wars it's not that way and I just really yeah. appreciate it well and so and I'll, I'm not you know, we'll we'll probably get to this movie eventually. Um, but uh, you know, Force Awakens, uh, when uh, Poe and uh, um, uh, Ray, Ray, no, gosh. Finn. <laughs> Let's go through the list. <laughs> <laughs> Kylo, Be, uh, when Kylo. they first meet, you know, oh, and yeah. and Poe's like, "Who yeah. talks first? Me, you? Who talks first? And it's just that 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 joke. It it's to me seems so out of place. Yeah. For a movie like that, especially for that time of the movie, yeah. for that character, that a joke like that just is for me. It seemed out of place. It's it's opposite of what the visuals and the whole right. score is telling. It's, it's telling you serious, you know, impending doom. Yeah, you know, evil, and then you've got jokes. And you drop a joke in. There. Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I I remember when we watched The Force Awakens for the first time in the theater. Now I love The Force Awakens, but. I remember uh, at that after that exact part. I, I remember sitting there thinking, 
that did, that just didn't feel like a Star Wars. Thing. No, it yeah, didn't. that felt yeah. out of place. Like you're you're right. Yeah, it it, it, it does take point, you yeah. out of it a little bit. And we we had the same conversation on Ghostbusters Afterlife. Yeah. When the key master and the gatekeeper come together, and that that joke yeah. with you know them talking about I like your hair and your eye, you know it just it didn't fit. You can sort of like you mentioned, Austin. You can sort of blame Marvel for some of that because <laughs> they do stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the the comedy in the Marvel movies bother me very much, uh, except for there are aspects of it, like you mentioned with. Uh, um, for me, it stands out the most in the Spider-Man movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, I think about Iron Man movies yeah. and how Robert Downey Jr. played them. That's more subtle. He was more subtle. But it, it works with him. Right. Cause that's it, his personality. That's his subtle. character's personality. Way more subtle with yeah. his comedy. It was just his personality. Yeah. Um, and in some of the other ones, it is a little... You know, I think about like... Uh, uh, the, at the end of Endgame, when uh, and uh, listen, we've we've already we just went down a, a comedy and Marvel uh, uh, road here, but I think about the end of, at the end of Endgame when uh, Thor's in the ship with the the Guardians of the Galaxy and him and uh, 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 Chris Pratt's character are having that whole exchange of dialogue about you know who's going to be the leader of the ship and all that, uh, you know, and stuff like that is yeah. like a little you know it's a little much. Um, it's like you're just being forced to, it's like someone's just telling you to laugh. It's hard to laugh when someone's just, you know, Yeah. it's so blatant like that. Versus, um, you know, when they're in the Death Star and Han, you know, they're they're asking, is everything okay? And he gets on the microphone, he's like, uh, yeah. yep, yep, we're all good. Yeah, exactly. How That's funny, yeah. but it's not a, you know, a slap yeah. in the face joke. Right? Well, like, even like, uh, going back to Marvel, like the, the new Venom movie, Let There Be Carnage, I, there was way too many jokes. I, I didn't like that movie. Because yeah, I liked the first one, but the second one, there was just a joke every five minutes. And yeah. it was like, you have like this really cool character with Carnage. And they do a good job, especially with a couple scenes, of making him almost like a horror character. Like he's yeah. wreaking havoc. But there's just way too many jokes. The whole movie just felt like every 30 seconds was a joke. You and I have talked about the Ghostbusters reboot. Yeah. A joke every 30... They don't even let you breathe. And yeah. they're already starting another joke. Um, subtle comedy is so important. And like you mentioned, I think maybe that may be the best example in A New Hope with him over the yeah. intercom, which was improvised by Harrison yeah. Ford. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah. Just improvised. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was even better then. That's, that's Right. Great. And and uh, and with you, like you mentioned with the droids, they're almost like these uh, comedic relief. Mm-hmm. But again, they play; they still play uh, a very important part of the story, the overall yeah. story. Yeah. So that, to me, is just uh, a tribute to good writing. Uh, it is, yeah. Almost here. like it makes the the peril, like when they're in the trash compactor. Yeah, you know, that scene. The the droids, you know, not really knowing what's going on and. You know, not being as worried about it almost makes it more perilous for the three people you know who are right. being about to be crushed, or four, I guess, about to be crushed. You know, it, it enhances the story as opposed to just, you know, taking away from it. Right, and then you got, like, 3PO, you know, as they're cheering and celebrating, 3PO's like, <laughs> yeah. they're yeah. dying, you know, they're dying, yeah. oh, they're dying. Uh, and again, that's just, you know, that's perfectly, that's perfectly placed. You know, when you think about A New Hope, you don't really think about comedy. Right. But there is comedy in it, and when you attempt comedy, 
it, it either hits or it misses. And the thing about comedy is, if it misses, it's mm. it's almost awkward. It well, and I you think you know what? that type of comedy, I think it, it, there's a time and place for it. it there, there's a place for that comedy. You know, if, there, if it's like a like Anchorman or, or you know uh, Talladega Nights, yeah, where it is written as a full blown colony yeah. uh, comedy, right? Step Brothers, where the whole movie is a comedy that works. But when you're trying to do action, adventure, uh, thriller. And then you know you want comedy in it. You can't have all of everything. You gotta yeah. have. You gotta sprinkle in something. Mm-hmm. And the comedy, yeah, when it gets sprinkled in subtly, is when it works on those top movies. I, I was thinking of when you're saying that where it where it doesn't work. I was. I really like Rogue One, but I I, I have a hard time watching that scene where um, Vader you know says, "Be careful not to choke on your aspirations." Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that is just too much yeah. for me. <laughs> A little on the nose. Uh, a little on the nose, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a great point. You don't think about comedy in Star Wars, but uh, as I mentioned with The Force Awakens, uh, you know, you sit there the first time watching it, and I was just like, hmm, like that just felt wrong. That yeah. Joke. yeah. Uh, and then in the, the Last it's Jedi, boring. his joke at the beginning of the movie was worse. Like with the whole uh, oh man when I he's talking to uh, General, Hux. General Hux through yeah. the intercom uh, and it's just it's like, like this, I can't hear you can you hear me That's, oh yeah uh, and I was sitting there like you just this is kicking off right where the uh, Force Awakens ended you built up all this tension and then you're yeah. just kicking it off and you're doing that yeah uh, when he throws it, yeah I, don't, I guess we should just kind of corny. That. Yeah, and then but, you go into this whole awesome like bombing sequence and all that and it's like yeah. you could have just started with that. Like, you didn't have to do this whole corny dialogue. You're trying to fit too many things. It's too much, like, reverse, go to this, back to that, back to yeah, that. Yeah, right. Too much jumping around. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and I and I like the character of Poe. It just seemed like he got... Yeah, same. He got sort of honorary uh, bad joke teller uh, yeah, in yeah, the sequel trilogy. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, so uh, you know, who, who would have thought we would have spent... 15 minutes on comedy in this movie. Uh, hey, but we're flushing out everything. It's cool. Um, but yeah, like uh, we were talking about, you know, the, the the side characters in Star Wars. One of the coolest things to me about Star Wars, um, it's something I've always loved, and you sort of mentioned it with the shows, is getting to see this massive uh, universe or galaxy mm-hmm. Um, planet by planet and mm-hmm. so you get like uh, uh, Mos Eisley in this one on Tatooine and you know when they go into the cantina and you see all these very interesting uh, creatures and the creature yeah. designs and, and droids well you don't see them in the cantina but um, uh, again that was another extremely bold choice because these were very funny looking uh, creatures and this could have taken a lot of people out of the movie yeah, you know, at that very point, different. Uh, there's so many people who won't watch science fiction because they just—it's like they want to keep everything based in reality. Yeah. Uh, so that automatically takes them out. So that was another extremely bold choice. But I love seeing that, and it's so interesting watching anything Star Wars that has come out after that because you you'll see more of you know certain species and in, 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 uh, of uh, of characters. You can think about tonight. In the first episode of Book of Boba Fett, you saw uh, one of those cantina members 
there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, from the original movie uh, yeah. as we're as we're talking about it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think it's just creatures and creature design and all these aliens and different species is, is really cool. I mean, what what do y'all think? Uh, also, what do you think about uh, you know, sort of the vastness of the universe and seeing, you know, not just these different locations, but also the different kinds of characters, like the different aliens and stuff. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that that is one reason why I respect George Lucas so much because. He, he just was so creative and he left the door open for this massive um, you know whatever universe that he could unfold it you know if if it was successful which I I think he probably did on purpose um, you know you, you don't see a lot of other species after that cantina scene right in a new hope but you know he had that scene in there you know apart from the Tuscan Raiders at the beginning you, you have that scene in there where you're just seeing so much of the world and you've got these you know different planets and you hear about, you know, Aldron, but you, you never see it, you know, and then there's all these other, besides just characters and species, you've got all these different locations you could go to, and I think it was just a genius move on his part to have that cantina scene in there. Chad? No, I agree. Um, like you said, all the, the, the different options you have, the different species, aliens, um, you know, the... The music uh, in there, and um, uh, it, it just worked. Um, yeah. I, I agree with Austin. Just the the genius of, of George Lucas of putting that in there. Yeah, um, like I said, I think it was just a, <laughs> such an extremely bold choice uh, that paid off greatly. One of the cool things about Star Wars since this movie's come out is you hear things mentioned that you get to see at later times. You know, you mention yeah. Alderaan, you get to see it later, or. Uh, you know, there's this brief line from uh, uh, Obi-Wan about the Clone Wars. Yes. And we get, that, we get that fleshed out in yeah, detail. Yeah. You know? A movie and a TV show. <laughs> yeah. Well, even you know, even with that, and I've thought about that uh, many times before, in 77, how many people were talking about clones? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point, yeah. You know, thinking about the Clone Wars. You know, that that's interesting. Like, why did he say the Clone Wars? You know, it almost makes you think he did have some sort of idea of of what he he could do with it you know at that time um you've also got the aspects of the 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 aspect of the ships Mm um uh you know the the uh uh, x-wings and you obviously you have the death star uh and the millennium falcon oh man Uh, millennium falcon that scene where they're playing chess on the millennium falcon and then luke is training with a droid that's just (laughs) what a great scene yeah, you know, you know well, what? It didn't have to include that, but it's just it really makes the world so much better, right? And you know, talking about the ships, how you know the big it, it's like, and, and they are it's an imperial navy, right? So you got these sh- large battleships, like you do, you know, from World War Two, which I think a lot of things were taken from World War Two, how the empires modeled after uh, Nazi Germany, you know, the Nazis in World War Two, where you've got these big giant uh, naval ships doing battle in space and you got things like the x-wing and tie fighter who are like uh uh, fighter planes fighter jets uh battling it out it's just it's cool and they can travel from you know different galaxies different planets uh the millennium falcon uh you know it's just cool yeah yeah and that 
<laughs> again, it is another bold choice because yeah. it's so science fiction. Oh, yeah. And at that time, you know, science fiction wasn't the most popular thing on the face of the earth. So, you know, it's just, you're, you're at, with this movie, you're asking people to believe so much. Yeah. It's not reality. Yeah. Uh, so, it, and it's crazy that it worked uh, as well as it did. Um, one thing about the Millennium Falcon and travel, you're talking about space travel, I don't know how accurate the light speed scene is, but I feel like it is pretty close. I mean, I don't I don't know what it would actually look like, but it is, mm-hmm. it is interesting that he did a good job of trying to make it seem like maybe it could be reality. You know, and then I, I whereas, like, we watched Dune, you know, not too long ago, and they just completely skip over the light speed travel scene yeah. you know in that movie whereas he showed it and made it look cool and very remember, uh, memorable too <clears throat> yeah I mean it's referred to as uh, hyperspace in Star mm-hmm. Wars and I think I've always uh, uh, been under the impression that it's almost like uh, I guess it's probably similar in Star Trek it's almost like a wormhole creator mm-hmm. yeah what what they have built into their ship, you know, it's it's they're 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 bending space and time to get somewhere. Yeah, um, I guess so. But you know, that's that's something in Star Wars that I don't know if they flesh out real well. Uh, and the books and comics always have is, you know, in the movies you see they leave going somewhere and then they land there. Yeah. Whereas uh, in some of the books and comics, it explains that hey, that actually took like two weeks to yeah. get there. You know, so. Well, and, and even just the, the mechanics, um, you know, and you guys know what I do for a living. I'm in that, yeah. you know, that, that type of work. Um, you know, growing up when I was little, how the X-Wing and the Millennium Falcon and all those ships fly through space and they bank and turn and yeah. you take off from one planet and you just go straight out of space into another planet. There's no orbital, you know, no making orbits and... Then I found out that is not at all how space travel works <laughs> at all. But they ride it in such a way it's just so cool that, you know, you don't care. That's not how it works, but yeah. this is cool. I'm Like you said, you're going to suspend reality and belief because it, you're sucked into the story. Right. Yeah. They made a good effort at making it, yes, yeah, try to, trying to make it seamless, you know. Yeah, believable. Yeah, believable. Um... Uh... So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the only two planets we see uh, in this movie are Tatooine and Yavin 4? Yavin 4. Is that a moon or a planet? I forget. Do you remember? I think it was a planet. You know what? This is the power of Google at your fingertips, folks. Yavin 4. It's a moon. Okay. It's uh it's uh the fourth moon in orbit around Yavin Prime. And that's where the rebel base is, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you see um Tatooine, you see that and you see uh I guess the only other setting would be the Death Star, uh, in this movie. I think I'm correct in this, but it, anyway, uh um so you don't see as much. Um uh but it's such a cool introduction to I mean, you, you look at uh, uh, Tatooine and, and the fact that it's this massive desert planet, but mm-hmm. it's got two suns. Yeah, and it's yeah. like that's kind of crazy, you know. That it's, iconic scene where Luke is staring into the sunset, which has become a staple of all the the, the yeah. trilogies. Right. You know, 
uh, uh, the prequel trilogy ends on Owen and Maru staring into the twin signs, and the sequel trilogy ends with Ray staring into the twin signs. So it's yeah. almost like poetic, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, to me, there's no uh, across all of Star Wars. There's no big bigger I've got chills moment than when Luke. Stares into the twin signs and you hear the force theme. Yeah, the force. Theme. And and it's like, uh, uh, you know, it's like it's, you know, the journey this guy's going to go on. And now we have stuff like, um, uh, you know, the, the 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 sequence in the Mandalorian. You know, thinking about, uh, you know, how he got from here to here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so cool. And that's one of that's been my always been one of my biggest. Um, Phrases of the original trilogy is where he starts in A New Hope and where he ends in Return of the Jedi. It's two different guys. Oh, yeah. It's like this incredible uh, storyline. You see that maturity sure. and him yeah. grow through through that whole storyline to become what he ends up being. Right. He's just this really immature kid in the first one. And then by the last one, he's like this incredible Jedi master. Then um, you know give props to George Lucas but also give props to Mark Hamill I mean yeah. that's that's an incredible leap to make yeah. his demeanor uh, changed completely. yeah oh yeah absolutely and his look changed because uh, yeah. he, was yeah. a, he was in a car accident <laughs> yeah so, he, so. Look, he looks different uh, but yeah like it, yeah, his, his demeanor like you said his demeanor does change he's quieter and a little more, you know, self-kept more, in more the, rigid almost. You know, he's yeah. kind of like a daisy in the first one, and then you see it change a good bit in the Empire, and then very dramatically in the just the self-confidence. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just you know, you're seeing a maturity on screen that's really cool. But in this one, like I said, he's immature, just a farm boy uh, who's got sort of dreams of going out and doing uh, a bigger things. Um, but, uh, I mean, he, you know, the character of Luke, which we haven't even really talked about much up to this point, um, I mean, there's no, I don't know, I think there are two names in the world that everybody knows, and that's Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. <laughs> there's not a human being alive who has access to television, internet, whatever, who doesn't know those names yeah um and so you know the character of luke uh is one that has uh a very long timeline now um but in in this original trilogy and specifically in this first movie it's so cool to see where that story begins for him i mean i guess technically his story began in revenge of the sith but uh you know to see where his story really began and uh you know see him like y'all mentioned, you know, this is one of the first, like, hero's journey sort of movies. And to see him, uh, you know, make it to the Death Star and save Princess Leia and, you know, then, you know, fly the X-Wing through the Trintron and use the Force, you know, which is something we haven't. That's crazy that we're an hour into a Star Wars podcast and we haven't even said the word the Force yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you have, uh, you know, the the aspect of the Force and all that. Um it's awesome, man. I mean, uh, you know, he's always been one of my favorite characters. I know that everybody was geeking out over the Mandalorian and seeing him at full strength as a as a young young kid, uh, not kid, but man, um, you know, that was just so awesome. I mean, 
Austin, you know, I, what, what are your, you know, opinions on Luke Skywalker as a whole, and then specifically that character in this movie? Well, um, yeah, as a whole, one of the best character arcs, I think, ever done. I would say, it, it, yeah, if you look at the big picture, going from this movie to, I guess, look at, like, The Last Jedi, like, the ending sequence of The Last Jedi, it's such a dramatic change and so well done and just just look at how Mark Hamill has yeah like I said his demeanor changed he he played the character changes so well and the maturity like you were saying Chad and um yeah but but in this movie even you, you you see it you see hints of it you know not to the same extent that you know the original trilogy shows his evolution but you see him changing a lot by the end of it you know he's yeah. got more confidence he's you know he's not you know, just the farm boy anymore at that point, you know. Yeah. Um, Chad, what about you? Yeah. I, you know, starting out, coming from, from the farm, there's times he can, uh, I don't want to say be annoying, but be immature, mm-hmm. right? And uh, you see him grow, like you said, even through this, um, in this movie. Uh, of course, in the, in the later movies, he's going to grow so much more. But in this one, you do see growth. You know, even at the end of the movie, during the last battle, um, where he's uh, you know fighting in the in the X wing, and uh, it, it's it's it was cool to see him grow through that process because he did start out very immature, in my opinion, and you know there was some things that were a little bit of a you know annoying, uh, but that's due to the immaturity. But you uh, saw him grow out of that, yeah. uh, and then he became a crack shot with that uh, X wing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very good shot. Um, uh, an- another person we didn't talk about much is uh, Han Solo, and uh, how interesting that character is to the story because he's not the hero, um, he's not the villain, but he's just uh, this guy who is basically uh, you know a transport for Obi Wan and Luke to get to Leia. And he ends up, you know, he's just a, a, a scoundrel, a spice runner, you know, mm-hmm. he and Chewbacca. Um, and he ends up, you know, becoming, you know, one of the heroes, which mm-hmm. is which is crazy that he sort of gets his own hero's journey and as well. Um, you know, Harrison Ford, I mean, I, I, could you, I mean, I don't think I can imagine anybody else you know, <laughs> playing this role. Just his demeanor... Um, you know, he's just got like a, um, uh, a personality trait there that, uh, you know, he's very lax about everything, but, you know, except for his craft and the things that he does being the pilot of the Millennium Falcon. And, you know, it's like, he's very proud of what he, he is, but at the same time, he's not a... Uh, 100% uh, clean character like say Luke or Obi Wan is, you know. Uh, it, we we know in the original uh, uh, version of this, you know, he straight up just murders Greedo for, <laughs> for coming in there and trying to you know collect bounty on him uh, or collect money from him. I guess um, uh, obviously through the special editions that changed, but. Um, you know, that's just the character of Han, you know, he, he was not, he's neutral, he's not, he's not evil, he's not really good, but mm-hmm. he's, he decides to fight on the side of good at, at the end, you know, he doesn't really care about the rebellion or the empire, you know, yeah. he's, he's sort of one of those, 
you know, uh, you know, everybody's gonna, everybody's gonna stab you in the back anyway. So what does it matter if you're fighting on this side or this side? You know, type mm-hmm. of characters. But um, I mean, my gosh, again, like just the character of Han Solo. You can't imagine Star Wars without that character. Um, and then you have Leia, who um, princess, but she's like, uh, she's she's has attitude. You know, yeah. she's just. Standing there in shackles, uh, you know, in front of Vader and Tarkin, but she's just sitting there mouthing off to him, you know, <laughs> as though she's not, you know, could be killed at any minute. Um, and, and she's really good, and, and she's got such good personality, which at, at that time, if we're being honest, you know, women didn't necessarily play those kinds of characters, but she, uh, uh, and, and we now know that's just Carrie Fisher. That sort of plays into her her personality, um, which she did really well. And props to, to George Lucas for writing that character. Um, uh, but when it comes to to those two characters, Chad, we'll start with you. I mean, how important do you think they are to just this whole thing? I mean, I know obviously they are, but uh, and and what's your sort of uh, uh, you know what's your favorite thing about these characters and how they play into this story? Well, they they're definitely crucial to the story, and Han Solo is my favorite, uh, and always has been my favorite uh, Star Wars character. Yeah, uh, he's he's cool. He's kind of like the bad boy, but also if you think about it in a way, he's kind of like the the cool older brother to to Luke in a way. Right, uh, a little bit older he is. He's a little bit cooler, um, you yeah, know. And that relationship, life experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then relationship between him and, and Chewbacca. You know, you got the the buddies uh, going through with the banter, going back and forth. Of course, you have no clue what uh, what Chewbacca's saying, but from the responses that uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Han Solo's giving, you know exactly what's being said. And right, uh, it's it's there's some of that subtle comedy there too. Uh, but yeah, their their story is crucial. Like you said, he's in it for himself, and you, I, I feel like you see an evolution uh, and a maturity in him as well. Where he starts out, he's all about money, he's about himself and uh, self preservation. Uh, even at the end, you think you know he's going to take the money, he's splitting, he's gone, and then at the last second, he comes back in and he's he's jumping in the fight, not for anything for him. He's out there for his friends. To help them, to save them, to save the, you know, uh, save the 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 alliance, the rebels. He's helping out, uh, and it's it's cool to see that uh, that growth in, in in him as well, to to what he becomes, uh, and you know, through the whole Star Wars uh, saga, you know, to see his uh, his change in his character, and where he ends up and where he goes. But yeah, definitely my favorite character in all the Star Wars movies is definitely Han Solo. He's just, he's cool. The the cool smuggler. Right. <laughs> also, what about you? I think you can take them or leave them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, they definitely make the movie. I mean, um, it is interesting to see how Leia's character changes over time. So... In this movie, she is confident. She's she's always confident, but in this movie, she's almost more of like a, a spoiled brat, somewhat. Yeah. And then later on, you know, you see how dignified she becomes and a great, powerful leader. Which she's a good leader in this movie too. But and then Han, like you said, he he kind of comes across as just like a neutral, kind of sleazy, kind of out for myself, 
you know, which I guess is what, what he was. And then you see his character evolve to where he's, you know, he's built these friendships with them and he comes back. He comes back to help when he didn't have to. He could have just took the money and run, you know, like Leia said, get his, get his reward and, and get out. And, uh, yeah, they did it. They did a great job. Like you, like one of you said, almost like a mini hero's journey with Han as well, mm. which was interesting to see. And you had to have uh, Han there for that uh, that romance uh, arc with Leia. Otherwise, things would have got really <laughs> weird. Yeah. yeah well, uh, it's interesting to almost see him and Luke fight over Leia until yeah. until uh, some things are learned about uh, family heritage. Um, yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the things that's so, uh, great about watching the original trilogy just in general, or, you know, those fact that the, all of those characters, including, including Chewbacca and R2 and 3PO, and uh, they're all so mm-hmm. likable. And, and so you can watch those movies and, and all of those characters have great personality and they're all different. But they worked so well together, and, and in my personal opinion, you know, I like uh, a lot about the sequel trilogy, and there are things I don't like, but I've always said its biggest crime was the fact that those characters not never got together. Um, I don't know how that ever happened, you know, but um, those characters, uh, you know, the way they worked together... You know, I think about uh, Luke and, like you mentioned, the scene in the in the Falcon when he's training and, and they're talking about the Force and, you know, Han's talking about how it's just a bunch of malarkey. He's and, skeptic. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just so skeptical of it. And then you see uh, that transition into the, the sequel trilogy when he's like, it's real. Like, it's very real, you yeah. know. Um, uh, you know, that's so cool. Um, and, you know, kind of like you mentioned, uh, you know, he and, and uh, Han and... and uh, Leia have so much chemistry together and and uh, you know uh, you made a good point with Han and Luke how he's almost like a big brother figure um, and how how well that works um, so yeah we would be remiss uh, discussing this movie without spending a uh, good time on those characters and how uh, you know impactful they are to, yeah. to this uh, franchise's longevity I mean like, you just like- don't yeah, I see. I see. Like, I think we we've seen the maybe the plot, like a similar plot before, with the storyline. But yeah, this is one of the first movies I know of that has such a great uh, set of characters that, like you said, you can flesh out stories for each one of these, and I would go see it. You know, the and they have. Yeah, they in, have. in some you know. <laughs> yeah. In in, in some uh, instances, you know, uh, like I said. Uh, 3PO and R2 got their own animated series. Uh, mm-hmm. Han got his own movie. Uh, Leia hasn't, you know, I guess really gotten anything uh, in the form of movies or shows, but there's a great book called Bloodline about Leia that I, it's one of my favorite Star Wars books. Uh, and in comic books, I mean, they've been fleshed out even more. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of those aren't canon anymore, but still, it's really cool to see. I mean, uh, like I said, that this this whole thing doesn't work if those characters and the actors who played them and the writing yeah. of those characters isn't like as good as it is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, right. and, and so that is so important. Um, uh, you know, we also haven't talked about Vader. Uh, you know, I mean, we could probably do a, a three-hour, 
you know, show just on that character. How did alone. we not get to Vader yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Darth Vader, he's just the, like, essential villain of the, you know, of, of any story. Yeah. Know? It's Darth Vader. Um, obviously, the prequels are sort of his his movies, whereas the the originals are sort of Luke's movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, there's just something insane about uh, this 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 really tall guy who uh, has this you know black robotic suit, and you have no idea why, and he breathes audibly and very funny. Uh, again, something that could have easily not worked. Uh, it's a miracle this movie ever got made. <laughs> gotta be honest, uh, but you have uh, you have that uh, iconic voice of you know James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. uh, which was just such a good choice to make. Um, and you know he's just this. There's this mystique to that character, similar to Boba Fett, except for Vader was obviously fleshed out a lot more. Um, I mean, you know, if if you just take into account this movie uh you know i think about the the scene where they're they're having the meeting uh, in the in the the death star and he just like straight up chokes the guy out mm-hmm. yeah just for it's questioning good. him yeah you know just for even even questioning him or you know questioning the force and he's like you know if you're going to question the force i'll show you what the force can do and just you know closes his windpipe or uh you know, uh, you know. I know the, the the lightsaber battle isn't you know as iconic in this movie. It's obviously not what you know you see in later movies uh, or the prequels. But um, you know, uh, there's just the, the 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 character of Vader. Uh, if you again, if you just look at this movie, is is you know, it, there's just something about that character that is it's demanding and it's very uh, you know it sticks out. He sticks out. And, uh, powerful, it, just powerful. Yeah, just powerful. And you think about Rogue One, and uh, there's just it's just there's a presence to that character. Yeah. Um, I mean, what uh, Chad? We'll start with you. I mean, what you know, your thoughts on Vader as it pertains to this movie? I mean, just like you said, he's the epitome of the the movie big bad, the big, the villain, right? He's so powerful, um, but at the same time, kind of cool, right? right? He's got the helmet, he's got the mask, the cape, uh, the all-black suit, the red lightsaber. Uh, he's also, you know, he's a he's a pilot. He's still he's flying, you know, his own ship during the battle, um, and he gives off this presence how of he cannot be beat. You know, if there's a one-on-one duel or even like multiple people like we saw in uh, in Rogue One against him. He still has the advantage. He is that powerful. Yeah. Um, and it's just like there. It's it's just too much to overcome. But you know. But they do it uh, at the end of the movie with with the Death Star, right? Where they you know. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, you know how they blew up the Death Star. Uh, it's it, I guess until Rogue uh, Rogue One is a little silly. Like, why would you have a, a open hole where all you have to do yeah. is shoot down in there? And that's all it takes to blow this thing up. Small design. You know, it's like on the Family Guy version. Can we put a piece of plywood or something over this hole or something? But, but the good news is, it's just big enough that the missiles can fit in there. So. <laughs> yeah. But so you know, they defeat the Death Star, but they did not defeat Darth Vader because he's this larger than life uh, character that you're not going to be able to beat by yourself. 
Right. Uh, of course, you, we see what happens throughout the the trilogy, and uh, but you even know, then, he really only died because he killed himself. Yeah, he did it. He he's yeah. the only one who could take himself out. Right. Uh, sure. But yeah, just uh, powerful, but at the same time, cool. Yeah, Austin. I just think it's great uh, storytelling how they they really set the stage for him right off the bat, where you see him, you know, lifting the guy up one arm, choking him questioning him and then later like the scene you're talking about where he's with all the moths and he just chokes a guy with the force and you see right off the bat this guy is a force to be reckoned with he's got an extra edge uh that other people don't have and how would you possibly beat him and i think that was just great storytelling and also that george lucas decided not to you know have him killed at the end but to fly you know spin off out mm-hmm. to the distance which was a great great move um yeah yeah he, he's just like i said just such a demanding i mean commanding figure um you know uh you know the way that he uh you know it's just the way he speaks to uh you know the people who work under him the imperial officers like you mentioned a good point the way he enters the movie you know with them uh uh, uh capturing the the rebel ship and and blowing through the door, and the, when he yeah. enters, you hear that iconic theme, <laughs> the Imperial theme, uh, Imperial March. I mean, uh, there's just something about that character that is so awesome. And obviously, like I said, we're just speaking about this one movie. Uh, we know that that character character gets uh, really well fleshed out, and will continue to get fleshed out in you know the Obi Wan series. And I'm sure there will be other things that Vader will be a part of, uh, and I hope there is. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, the character of Vader is just, you know, I mean, there's not much more you can say about him that hasn't been said. Just such an iconic figure. Um, as far as, we've talked a little bit about the uh, the, the visual effects of mm-hmm. this movie. Um, I mean, it, it really is uh, incredible, the, the groundbreaking work that, that these movies did in terms of Practical effects and models, um, and even like you talked about some, uh, you know, effects like the the, the laser blasts and, and mm-hmm. you know the the blast from the the ships. Um, again, the, that could have just very easily not worked. And mm-hmm. you know, we could go down this rabbit hole with the the special editions and what they changed, but if you just look at um, this movie, uh, for the most part, uh, you know, it's incredible. Like I think about uh, the trench run being this huge like model setup that they mm-hmm. had to fly through, and and you know uh, how well all that holds up. I mean, I know for you, Chad, you're big on you know the the practical effects, and I am too. Like you know, but for you, I mean, how cool is it to see you know how well all of the effects and how they hold up. You know, you think about the, the Death Star and all that. How cool yeah. is that, you know, uh, for somebody who, who just loves that kind of effect? Yeah, and like you said, they're, they're miniature models. Uh, well, I say miniature. They're, they're pretty big models. But they're, they're models. But the way they built them and the detail they put in them, along with how they filmed them, makes them look like these huge planet size. Uh, you know, ships and bases, and um, it's just amazing how they did that. And to me, those type of effects stand the test of time between different types of, of film and filming and uh, the 
uh, evolution of technology uh, in graphics, right? Because you see a lot of uh, computer graphics, you know, that was when they came out, you watch them 20 years later, and you're like, yeah, oh, gosh, this is this looks so fake. But you see those, those practical effects, they stand up and they hold up because you're like, you still, it still keeps that immersion yeah. that this is a gigantic ship that uh, that you're flying over. And not only the, the visual effects, but the audio effects too, right? Right. Like there, everybody knows what the sound uh, a lightsaber makes when you flick that switch. Yeah, you right. know what that is. Or what a blaster makes. When exactly. You shoot it. Yeah. It's a good point. Um, you know, Austin, what about you? I know that, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, just in different movies, visual effects and stuff yeah. like that. Like, what do you think about this movie and how well it holds up? Yeah, I mean, it obviously holds up very well. I mean, you can't, like we're saying, 1977, and that even all this time later, you can still watch it and not, you know, uh, be cringing at it. Like, um, you know, you look, I love the prequels, but you watch those today, and a lot of it, you know, it's hard, it's, it's hard to watch some of the visual effects that are done. Whereas, you know, this movie kind of gives me a lot of hope for the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. How, you know, they went back to these practical effects and a mix of practical and, you know, animation. And it just makes me uh, think that, you know, the sequels are going to just hold up forever for that for that yeah. reason. And hopefully they do. And, yeah, the you know, the original trilogy just has done such a great job. And it's hard to believe how they, they made some of these effects. You know, so innovative. Mm-hmm. You know, just coming up with their own own ways to... Yeah. To make it happen. Well, they had to create their own studio, yeah. right? Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah. And invent a way to do this because it had never been done before. Yeah. Yeah, and then they became the most, you know, sought after visual effects team for movie making mm-hmm. after the fact. You know, Star Wars broke so much ground when it mm-hmm. came to effects and, and how they were done and just, again, just inventing things, you know, it's seeming, you know, and that's a. A big testament to that is George Lucas and what he demanded, you know, and he talks about, you know, and you talk about the, the, the prequels and how some of that doesn't hold up, you know, but there's so much, even in the prequels, that you if you watch documentaries on the, the filmmaking, there's stuff that the, the, the uh, effects team is coming up to him and flat out saying, this is not possible. Yeah. And he said, well, then we're... We'll have to make it possible. We'll have to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I believe he was probably like that with, with even this movie. It was like we've, yeah. you know, I, I'm scaling down some of it because, mm-hmm. it, it you know, it is literally not possible. But we've got to figure out ways to, to make some of this work. I mean. And I don't want to bash the prequels because I think, yeah, for, you know, 1999, the CGI was incredible. I think it, oh, it was. It changed the, it completely changed yeah. movie making. The, the, yeah. the CGI. We wouldn't have, uh, you know, I, I don't love CGI in all instances, but there is good CGI. Yeah. And we wouldn't have the good CGI that we have now if it weren't for the prequels and what, yeah. that, what the visual effects teams did. So that that's to be uh, for sure. But, you know, you look uh, uh, back to, to this movie, the original uh, Star Wars, um, there's so many techniques used in this movie that are still used today when using practical effects. I mean... Uh, you know, if you think about the uh, exploding models and, uh, you know, the Death Star and the trench run, like I mentioned, um, you know, the way that they make, uh, you know, speeders float, but you don't see anything under them. They're, they're literally floating or, 
you know, stuff like that. And, and, and not even just, uh, uh, I guess, effects, but also um, you think about, like, droids and the creativity in coming up with these droids. You know, uh, uh, I think you mentioned one that was like a, an, an ice cream machine or something to that yeah. effect, droid. Uh, or there's the one that's, uh, um, uh, it's an obvious, it's a microphone, you know, yeah. uh, built into it. Uh, which you see again in The Force Awakens or, or something uh, similar to it. Um, there's just so much creativity there that they didn't necessarily have to do, mm-hmm. but it just shows sort of that care to, to build this world. And to me, that's always been, uh, going back to what I said earlier, that's always been the coolest thing to me about Star Wars is this world building. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything is a part of something bigger. And this movie is obviously where that began. Um, so the the thing I've been uh, almost almost did this entire podcast talk about this one thing, and that's the score, the yep. John Williams yeah. score. I was hoping uh, we'd get to the score before we <laughs> run out of time. Well, we're out of time. So oh, we'll man. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we've talked about John Williams before. Um, best. In my opinion, best movie composer there ever has been or ever will be. John Williams's scores are just they they make a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you know, you think about Jaws, which came out before this. You know, Jaws. I, I have no doubt that as good a movie as that is, and as good a job Spielberg did with that movie, it would not be what it is today without that John Williams score. Yeah. Yeah. Same with Star Wars. Star Wars would not. I, I can't imagine. If we could find a cut of like this movie without that score in it, it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah, the John Williams score is just there's I don't know what you can say about it that hasn't already been said. It's so iconic. Indiana Jones, uh, huh? Indiana Jones, yeah. Uh, you know, E.T. I, we were sitting there because it's it's just been Christmas time, thinking about uh, 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 Home Alone. We were watching Home Alone, uh, uh, me and uh, my family. And sitting there thinking, you know, he did not have to write a score this good for this kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's just, it's incredible how even that, that, that score in that movie, the way it moves and flows, and it's just so good. You know, I mean, that's crazy. Uh, E.T., you know, you think about uh, all these movies he's done. But for this movie in particular, this is where it began uh, in terms of Star Wars for him. I've said this before, I'll say it again. There's not any Star Wars movie that he did, uh, the saga movies, where he phoned it in. Everything yeah. is just as good as, as the, the last one. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, for this movie, you think about the opening theme, you think about um, the Imperial March, you think about the Force theme, which has always yeah. been my favorite That's, Star Wars yeah, theme. Um, there's just Leia's theme. You know, you just think about... All of these different scores uh, and all these different themes that he wrote, um, and they just be- help again, just help build this world and, and put you in a time and a place where this movie really works to that extra level. Uh, well, there's there's no greater start to a movie than Star Wars, where you've got that fanfare blaring yeah. through the speakers with the text scroll uh mm-hmm. crawl going up the screen you yep. know you that is iconic to star wars and there's no that really gets the blood pumping to get into this story and get and get yeah. in the movie yeah uh you know i think about uh 
like with the Force Awakens, how cool it was just to see that, yeah. hear yeah. that in a movie <laughs> that theater was so again. Cool. Yeah. It's like, man, you know, at that point, it had been 10 years since you had seen that again, and it had been uh, 40 since you had seen it uh, with the original, you know, with the, the original timeline being followed up. Uh, and, and that's crazy that just as a Star Wars fan, you're so you're so excited for the movie, but you're just really excited to see and hear that score at the beginning, and and just you know hear that blaring that that roar of the score in the beginning, like you mentioned. Um, Austin, I know that you like us are a big fan of movie scores, and yeah. And so what uh, you know when you think about the the John Williams and his his scores for Star Wars and, and particularly this movie like what you know what are sort of your thoughts on that well uh, I guess I think back you know I've always always loved movie scores in general but Star Wars especially and I think back to when I was a kid like pretty young probably around the time uh, Phantom Menace came out maybe earlier I remember you Chad asking me what what's your favorite type of music and I probably should have said, you know, church hymns or bluegrass or something like that. But I said, my favorite's the Star Wars soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the Star Wars songs. And I did. And I still do. Um, and we're all musicians here. And I think the more I learn about music, the more impressed I am with uh, a lot of the Star Wars um, movie soundtracks. And it's it's just so impressive um, what he has done um, just to like you said he never phones it in not in a single single movie and it's just it can garner the perfect feeling and emotion right when you need it to and it really man it, it goes all the way from you know calm emotional to you know you've also got the cantina band scene yeah. mm-hmm. where you know you got that but you at the same time then you've got you think of Duel of the Fates, and you think of, um, you know, and I forget the Across name. Across the Stars. Across the Stars exactly is, what you're yeah, going to mention. Is probably, yeah. I would say either Across the Stars or the Force themes is my favorite. Um, also, you've got Anakin when he's, you know, he's hunting down the Tusken Raiders, you know, that iconic theme. That's the like, Order 66, the, yeah. how well that portrays emotion. Yeah. Where I think about, you know, even coming into the sequel trilogy, Kylo Ren's theme, yeah, or Ray's theme. The, the I love Ray's like theme. Like the Last Jedi may have as divisive of a movie as that is, may have the best soundtrack of any I, Star Wars. I think movie. it might be the best soundtrack. I mean, it, it's incredible, and that and again, he didn't have to. No, he didn't he have to. When yeah. he came into the sequel trilogy, he didn't have to do that good of a job. He didn't even he, have to do the sequel trilogy. No, he didn't have to. Um, any of them. But the crazy thing is, is that nobody can copy him. Nobody can copy John Williams. You know, I mean, I guess they technically could, but nobody can do original stuff in the same vein as he he's done it. You know, there's just when you hear John Williams score, you know it's John Williams. Like you know yeah. he did this. And people will say that he ripped off, you know, somebody. But I was going to get to that. <laughs> well, yeah, and there there are some that were. That worry. I mean, you've got uh, heavily. To admit it, it, yeah, blatantly ripped off. But he also came up with so many iconic things on his own that you can't argue that were taken from anybody. They were just truly his. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I'll argue that what he ripped off, he made better. Well, I agree, I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. I do agree. Yeah. And I think he just did such a great job. I'm glad he got a cameo. You know, finally. 
and yeah. the and then um, yeah, this, it really is some of my favorite music, and it's just impressive stuff, and it's just able to get so much emotion, and um, it's subtle when it needs to be, and it's very loud and dramatic when it needs to be. It's just done so well. Yeah, I love how he weaves. He mingles the themes together into, yeah. based on what is being you know, shown. You think in the about scene. the prequels. One thing I've yeah. always pointed out about him in the prequels, when you see flashes, when you see Anakin uh, from Attack of the Clones on through Revenge of the Sith, when you see him start to show the dark flashes side, yeah. of you know of, of sort of the path he's on, uh, I think about the scene after he killed the Tusken Raiders. You, mm-hmm. you start to he slowly puts in some of that imperial thing. Yeah, it's it's like it's almost like building this storm. It's there's a storm coming, like it's building on it, and that's just what he does really well. It's like it's like when he watches the cut of the movie to be able to put score to it. It's like I don't know. I, he he's like I, okay, I need to perfectly portray this. I need to make yeah. sure this is right here. Um, Chad, what you know? We have you haven't really said much about it. What are your thoughts? I love John Williams, like you said, just iconic soundtracks. And, you know, it, it's it's like exactly the point you were just saying. It's like a ballet. You go to a ballet, you hear, you know, for instance, uh, Swan Lake or the Nutcracker. That music is telling the story. Yeah. And that's what these scores do. They tell the story, exactly the point you were saying about how Anakin is starting to turn to the dark side. And you hear that in the music. Yeah. And you can hear where that story is going. You can hear the the growth of this character and where it's going, the music really tells the story along with the dialogue. And you can't have one without the other. Uh, but, again, going back to, to Austin's point, there was a lot of, of um, I'll say, borrowing of <laughs> yeah. other themes in classical music, like Gustav Holtz, The Planets. You know, you listen to that, it's like, wow, that's, that's very similar but you know, there's a there's a saying: good artists uh, borrow and great artists steal. That's right. So yeah. you know, he took yeah, themes true. throughout the classical repertoire, and he weaved them into his own score. And like you said, he he took those themes and he built on them. Yeah. Uh, to create this this audio story, this audible story that uh, that goes multiple. Uh, you know, multiple trilogies and multiple storylines. Um, so yeah, it's just in in his other movies as well. Like we talked about Indiana Jones and um, uh, the other movies he's done. It's just you hear these things, these themes, like the Indiana Jones thing. That is John Williams. You know it. You you know, and I'm not dumping on on any other um, uh, composers because I, I, I you know the person I'm going to mention. I love their music. You can tell the difference between a John Williams and a Danny Elfman. I love Danny yeah. Elfman's uh, uh, score, and you know the uh, Keaton, Michael Keaton Batman was mm-hmm. awesome. It's but you can yeah. there's just differences between the two, and right. you can always tell a John Williams. Yeah, that, and that's a good point. I mean, like one of my favorite scores that this this never gets talked about in terms of score is that those uh, you talk about Danny. Danny Elfman, those uh, original Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire and how mm-hmm. awesome the score of those movies are. Uh, but it's distinctly different. Mm-hmm. You think about, we've talked a lot about Elmer Bernstein, B- oh, yeah. Bernstein with the the uh, the Ghostbusters score and how iconic that score is and how that movie doesn't work as well if not for that score. Mm-hmm. But it's distinctly different. John Williams has this way of, like you put it, telling the story 
while the story is also being told visually. Mm. You know, it's like he's he's perfectly portraying what's happening. Um, well, it's like when we watch, you know, earlier, uh, after we got through watching Boba Fett, we watched those deleted scenes. Had no music, no background sound. And it was just, it, something it felt weird, yeah. off. Something yeah. felt missing without that music in the background helping tell the story. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and as it pertains to uh, A New Hope, you know, I think about... Um, you know, again, that the force theme and building up the character of Luke through the score, uh, building up the character of Vader through the score, and that you know we talked about sort of that commanding presence he has, and a lot of that has to do with score. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and so uh, you know that's just you know, and, and as far as like action music, you know, music that's in the background while things are going on, like it perfectly ramps up you know, sort of the mood of, of the scene, uh, the way that he does. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> like I said, this movie is where you get the beginnings of, of, of what we what we got throughout the whole saga. And, and you know, it's just, uh, I don't know that there's, uh, again, any more iconic piece of music than uh, the Star Wars title theme. I mean... Uh, it's just, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I, going to see The Force Awakens, I was so excited to see the movie, but just as excited just to see the opening crawl and the, yeah. and the title theme. And, and uh, just to think that you can use the same theme, you know, this many years later, and it still works. <laughs> it just That's a testament in itself. Yeah, you're exactly right. There's so many movies who, uh, uh, you know, they don't really have any sort of iconic themes or endings but with Star Wars you know how the movie's going to start before you get there it starts and then it ties it it in it's that common thread with all of them Mm -hmm. right except for I guess Rogue One Solo yeah and we'll talk a lot more uh, down the road about John Williams I'm sure when we talk about the other movies but yeah I mean there's just no more iconic uh, uh, composer of movie scores than than, uh, one Mr. John Williams um what have we not covered? I mean, I think that we've pretty much touched on uh, on, on pretty much everything. You know, um, this movie, like I said, it's just been the inspiration for so much. Uh, uh, you know, having the, uh, the the benefit of hindsight now that we can look back at it, um, this movie's just you know, I, I, I'd be willing to bet. Uh, well over 50% of the science fiction movies that came out after this wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this movie. You know? yeah. um, it's, it's crazy how that genre uh, basically probably still exists because of Star Wars. And, you know, you obviously had Star Trek, yeah. but uh, they, they, are, they are very different. Um, Star Wars is something that I feel is more accessible mm-hmm. uh, to a larger audience. Um, so, Well, and I think a lot of things... Were, wouldn't be the way they are without Star Wars, you know, yeah. even in, in movie making, because I think we were talking about Ghostbusters. Some of the visual artists uh, that came that worked on Ghostbusters came from Richard Industrial yeah. Light and Magic. Yeah. Um, so you may not have had the the great effects you would have had in Ghostbusters or the CGI that you guys talked about in the prequels. You wouldn't have what we have today without a lot of things that were developed and invented during Star Wars. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, like I said, I mean, just the, the, the inspiration that this movie had. And, and George Lucas, you know, as a whole, I mean, as a, as a storyteller. And, and 
you know, it's it's insane that you know we think about Star Wars today and this massive storyline and and everything that plays into it, whether it be a movie or a TV show or a book or a comic book or whatever, you know, essentially just started in this man's head, you know, which is crazy to think about that just somebody thought up something and this has become this massive thing. But, you know, props to him for for pushing to get, you know, something like this made in a time where uh, it wasn't the most popular thing in the world. Um, and, and, you know, we, we pretty much owe that to him and, and all the other people who worked on it, like we said, you know, uh, from, from visual effects to sound design to score to acting, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible what all had to work for this to work and be what it is. And, and all of it sort of played out as like a perfect storm, lightning in a bottle. Although you don't really want to say lightning in a bottle because you also had like the, you know, the, 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 the sequels, but, um, you know, it's incredible how, like I said, this could have so easily fallen flat on its face, but it didn't. It actually went the other direction, so it's amazing. Um, before we get out of here, anything, anything, uh, you know, you want to add or mention or something that you felt we didn't cover? Uh, for me, I think we covered it all. I, was, I, I am going to say uh, when you were asking if Yavin 4 was a moon, I was going to make a joke and say it wasn't... Uh, the Death Star moon, and then you say, <laughs> that's no moon, but then we just got through talking about subtle comedy, so I thought I'd better yeah. keep that dad joke. That's a, that's a way to bring that up 45 minutes later. <laughs> Bringing it back around. Start coming back. Uh, callback joke. Um, but I think we, we, we covered it pretty well, in, in my opinion. But Yeah. Also, what about you? I think, yeah, I think we, we hit it all. Uh, it's good to be on here. Appreciate y'all about me. Yeah, heck yeah, man. Uh, like I said, we're we're gonna do uh, every Star Wars movie. It's gonna be fun uh, breaking down everything, and you know, uh, here's the 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 sort of uh, thing about Star Wars is that uh, everybody's got different opinions. Uh, we've got different opinions on some stuff, so it's gonna be fun, you know, taking a look at uh, the movie through uh, other people's eyes, and uh, you know really looking at them through a different lens so it's going to be fun um i hope everybody has a, a great new year's uh we'll be back uh we'll be back uh, later and and you know we'll get into some other stuff some some other movies and albums it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun uh this has been ticket stubs and cassette tapes and we'll see you later <laughs>